I'm an I'm alcoholic. <laughs> My brother's perfectly capable of embarrassing himself. <laughs> <laughs> sniper fire in there, and uh, so that's uh, my political joke, but, uh, I can listen to that stuff today, it drives me crazy, but uh, I can listen to it, uh, like I said, my name's Mark, I'm an alcoholic, I'm glad to be here tonight, uh, been a while since I've been down here, everybody, uh, those of you who know me know my, my home group sees 4th Street group, might be down uh, there if I wasn't here, but uh, down here doing this deal, and uh, I don't know, I, I'm just glad to be sober, I, uh, you know, I drive around all day by myself, and sometimes it's not very pretty, but other times, you know, uh, a lot of times it's not pretty. But, you know, it gives me a lot of time to reflect and, uh, you know, tell you in a general way what I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like today. Uh, I, uh, I came from a nice family, really, and the longer I'm sober, the more I realize that. You know, our parents were very loving, very kind. Steve knew them, uh, very, you know, uh, we got a lot of encouragement, and, uh, we weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. We weren't poor. We were just middle of the road. And, uh, you know, my, my mother was a social worker. My father was a, was an educator. And uh, he was kind of an intellectual, you know. He uh, liked to read. And, uh, hell, we never even lived in a house. We lived in apartments our whole life growing up. He never wanted to mess with it. And, uh, you know, if any of that had anything to do with alcoholism, you'd have another speaker here tonight. Because I have no tales of horror of abuse or anything like that. Uh, Whatever was wrong with me uh, was inside of me. I, I knew that from, from a semi-early age. And, uh, you know, I remember reading, like, these uh, religious school reports. I think I was, like, in the second grade, and it said, Mark had a defeatist attitude. You know, <laughs> and, I thought, you know and, uh, you know, that showed up uh, early on. And, uh, and I, I remember as a kid, uh, I think I was, I was a thief at first. I just, uh, you know, I... I I, if I wanted something, I'd take it. You know what I mean? I just didn't see anything wrong with that. And I was taught right from wrong. I was given morals and values, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, uh, my mother worked at the community center. And uh, right about that time, those uh, Wilson T-2000 rackets came out. They were metal. They were real big. Well, I found this gigantic bolt cutter. So I would go into the locker room and snap these big bolts off, uh, these locks off, and I'd steal the rackets and sell them. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I was a couple years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous that I realized that that could have been very embarrassing for my mother, you know, to have her son get caught stealing from her place of employment. But that's just the way I was my whole life. I don't care. Give me what I want. The hell with you. And I was just like that. And I did it where my father worked. There was a little gift shop. I'd go up there and steal cross and pencil sets, all kind of stuff. There was stuff I didn't even want. I would just give it away and get people to like me. You know what I mean? I was just selfish and self-centered right from the beginning. And uh, and I never did real well in school, you know. Uh, you always hear, hey, it never works up to potential. And that was me. I, I got that from almost day one in school. I just, uh, I was arrogant. You know, if, if the subject didn't interest me, I wouldn't participate. I'd just sit there and I'd daydream. You know what I mean? But if it was something I liked, I would maybe read the book or, you know, take it home or study or something like that, and I was fine. But uh, other than that, I wasn't going to do what I didn't want to do. And uh, as you all well know, that you pay, a, you pay a hell of a price for that in life. And uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up around much drinking in our family. My mother and father weren't much on drinking. 
But I do remember once I started, I, I always watched, I watched their drinking, and a lot of you probably heard this, you know, many, many times, but they would come home from work and they'd get those little juice glasses. My wife had them, they're, they're useless. They're about 20 pounds. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I didn't use them, you know what I mean? But they'd get these juice glasses and they, my mom would put a little wine in there, my father would put a little bourbon, a little gin, and they'd drink that and they'd stop. And you know, once I started drinking, I, would, I, I remember clear as day sitting in that black chair, acting like I'm reading the newspaper, looking at it, thinking, "You're stupid. You know, get out that bottle and just keep it moving." And uh, what I come to find out many years later is that's the difference between somebody like me and somebody like them. They don't have the allergy to alcohol that I do. You know, alcohol never did for them what it did for me. And uh, to give you a short illustration of what alcohol does for me. I don't like to fly. I haven't been on a plane in 20 years. But you give me some vodka, and I will fly the plane. <laughs> Good old Sparky. I mean, that's, that's, that's just a I, I was flying with Kim and Joe years ago. And uh, he says, you know, Mark, I noticed when I let you fly the plane, you weren't nervous. You know what I mean? But that, that's just what booze did for me. And, uh, you know, I moved around a lot in school. I flunked out of, like, the college prep school. And then when I went to that high school for performing arts. And, uh... It was kind of funny, I went back there about a month ago for a show, and I remember going into the auditorium, and I said to this one kid there, I said, is there another auditorium here? This place is really small. He's looking at me like, he said, no, this is the only one. And that place was tiny. And uh, I, I just remember doing that, and uh, you know, and that was my thing. I was gonna be an artist. And I always felt like I had to do something, be somebody, have my niche in life. And really, that never came for me until I found booze and alcohol. You know, I remember getting drunk the first time. I can tell you where I was, who I was with, what we drank, what we did. Because uh, getting drunk that first time was like dying and going to heaven. It was a life-changing event. You know, alcohol just did something for me. And really, the die was cast that night in Mark Goldman's basement. It really was, you know, an alcoholic was born that night. Because, you know, I was a guy, I played music in bands, I was real active in my youth group. Well, after I found booze, all of that stuff went out the window. Because, you know, that stuff just didn't do for me at that time what a couple drinks did. And, uh, and really, uh, you know, uh, my story's always been one of rapid progression, and it was like that. Because I think I was maybe 16, 17 years old the first time I got drunk, and I loved it. And uh, I just thought, this is what I'm going to do. I was going to be like a Bill Murray party animal. You know what I mean? Because you don't have to do nothing. You know, I mean, I had little jobs and stuff, but uh, I just like drinking. I just love what it did for me. And I always liked the Bill story when he talked about when he went over to war. He says, in the midst of all the excitement, he discovered liquor. And that word discovered always jumped out at me. Because for me, that's what Bruce was, was discovery. You know, gave me release from care and boredom or worry, whatever, or whatever uh, you know, I can't quote it directly. And uh, my God, if something, something makes you feel that good, you know, why wouldn't you want to do it? And uh, and I don't know, uh, right from the beginning, uh, I started having trouble with my drinking. I started blacking out and wrecking cars, and uh, there was a little place in our neighborhood that was notorious for selling the miners. So, you know, I'd heard about it growing up, so right away I started frequenting the place, and I think I'd been only, what, uh, drinking six, seven, eight, nine months. Didn't you call that and tell them to quit selling me beer after a while? I was a wreck. And uh, that's why I remember. It might not even be true, but uh, I was a wreck, you know, wrecking cars and... Uh, I don't know, things just sort of progressed from there. And I always did as much dope as I could, smoked as much pot, and I love pills, I love barbiturates. Uh, I take speed, because, you know, you can stay up all night and drink and smoke dope, and uh, I just liked everything about it. And 
yeah, eventually, like I said, I started paying a price for it, you know. Uh, you know, in my family, you were supposed to make it get out of high school, go to college, get an education, maybe kind of figure out what you want to do in life. By the time I graduated from high school, the only thing I wanted to do was get a job, get a car, get an apartment, get a girlfriend, and just drink all the time. You know, do dope. I, that's all I wanted to do. And uh, I don't know, by the time I graduated from high school, or shortly thereafter, uh, I was a daily drinker. And uh, I got a little job right out of uh, high school, and uh, I think my, my mother went to work at 5 or 9. I didn't have to be there until 10. As soon as I heard that door slam behind her, I started drinking. I just, you know, why, you know, why not drink? You know, who cares if it's 9 o'clock in the morning? And uh, I, I had that allergy to alcohol right from the beginning. And, uh, you know, it never made sense to me to go out and just have a couple beers. What's the point? Let's get as much as you can and get as drunk as you can. I, I, it just never made sense to me. And by the time I was 19 years old uh, and in my first treatment center, I made many attempts to stop drinking on my own. And some of them were just as serious as the one as the one I made this morning, you know. But uh, no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I did, I could never stay away from booze for any amount of time. You know, and, and that, that was my motivation. I wanted to get sober that first time. A lot of it was that, and uh, if I keep drinking, I'm never going to get anywhere in life. And... Uh, you know, like I said, I knew that when I didn't want to drink, I always wound up getting drunk. But at that time, I didn't believe I had an allergy to alcohol. You know, whereas I put alcohol in my body and something happens, it just dooms me to keep drinking and drinking. And I don't know, uh, in that treatment center is where I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous the first time. And I, I didn't really like AA at first. You know, I'd hear stuff like 90 and 90, and that sounded like a jail sentence to me. <laughs> I think, man, I'm 19 years old. i got to go to college. i got to get an education. i got to be somebody. i got to meet a nice girl. i got to get this career thing. I don't have time to be sitting in your little AA meetings every night. And that, that was pretty much my attitude. I thought, well, I can do aftercare. You know, drunks always want to do aftercare. And I know why, because you don't have you don't have to do anything in aftercare. There's no steps. You know, you just sit there and bitch, you know. How much, you know, how much of an a-hole the boss is. But, and I, I fell into that. I'm going to aftercare one AA meeting a week. And, uh, you know, after a while, uh, you know how it is. I, I, something, something inside me knew that if I didn't do something, I was going to go back to the way I was. And at that time, I thought, now, nah, I'm too young. i got stuff to do. I better get on board with this AA thing. And, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to say anything a fair shot. And there was a good friend of mine, Danny Marcus. He's since gone, died sober. Uh, he uh, he's a guy I grew up with, looked up to, and uh, he had come to treatment, come to AA before I had. And I thought, well, I'll go to AA with him. And uh, that's what I did. I started going to AA, and I remember Danny got a sponsor, so I got a sponsor. Danny started working the steps, so I started working the steps. And, and I remember after I did that first fifth step, that 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 first time in AA, I felt like I was a part of this thing. But what I know now is that I, I never got down to causes and conditions. I still didn't know who the enemy was. I still certainly didn't know what the problem was. And, you know, certain things stick out in my mind about being sober that first time. I remember my, my first year anniversary that first time. I remember hearing my sponsor talk, and he talked about having a physical craving beyond his mental control. He talked about that out of the big book. And I'd ask him about it, and he'd explain it to him. I'd say, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But I didn't. I would lie and say, okay, yeah, I got it. And, you know, what I know now is back then I didn't believe I had the allergy to alcohol. I didn't believe that if I put a drink in my body, something happens to me that just dooms me to keep drinking and drinking. I didn't believe that for a lot of years. And, uh, 
You know, I went on with it. I, I had my eyes on the prize. I was going to college. I was going to get an education. I was going to be somebody. And uh, and I don't know. I think if you're an alcoholic and you're not drinking and you're somewhat sober, I guess, you know, your life will get better. And mine did. And, you know, uh, right away AA became my social circle. I met a lot of nice people. And some of them are my dear friends today. You know what I mean? I'm still close with, with a lot of them. And uh, I was real fortunate. You know, God let me do a, group, a, good, a good group of people. And, uh, yeah, I remember graduating from college. By the time I graduated from college, I always wanted to be on the radio, and I got on the radio, and, and you know, it didn't solve the fear problem. You know what I mean? I still didn't know what the problem was, you know. Didn't believe I was powerless. And uh, and really, looking back on it, I was the captain of my own ship. I was. Uh, you know, I would come to a lot of AA meetings. I knew the big book backwards and forwards. But I really had no God. I didn't believe I was powerless. And, uh, you know, I, I gave it my best shot. And uh, it's kind of went on through life. And, uh, you know, if you're a drunk and you don't believe you're powerless, there, there's going to come a day where you'll have no other choice but to go back to the one love, and that's drinking. And that day came for me after being sober for about seven and a half years. And uh, I remember that month before I drank, it was just totally insane. My eyes would pop open about 5 o'clock in the morning. My mind would race a thousand miles a minute, and I got no relief whatsoever. It was just a constant barrage. You know, back, back, you know, in the '60s, they call it a nervous breakdown. You know, but I just needed a drink. You know, I was getting no relief in AA. I was coming to a lot of meetings, and uh, then it was just time for me to drink again. You know, didn't believe I was powerless, and I had to get some kind of relief. And. Uh, I remember when I drank that first time, uh, I did get relief for about the first day or two, and then after that, it was nothing but sheer torture, you know, because I had a lot of AA going around in my mind, and you've got to drink a lot of whiskey to drown out seven and a half years of AA. And, uh, I couldn't do it. I maybe did it for like a day or two, but, uh, and then there was the, the progression of the disease. I mean, at 19 years old, I could get up and I could go to work. Now, I wasn't worth a damn. But I could at least show up. Well, seven and a half years later, once I started drinking, I couldn't even show up anymore. And that was not by my choice. That was strictly the disease calling the shots. You know, somewhere in that seven years, I lost the ability to make a living while drinking. Where in that seven years, I have no idea. But once I picked it up and started again, it was like I'd never stopped. Just like the big book talks about. It's progressive illness. And, uh... Hell, I think, well, I only lasted six days that first time, you know, and I, and I wound up in the old Roman psychiatric hospital. And, uh, you know, after, like I said, after a while, booze wasn't working. I couldn't get any relief. I thought, I'm going to go to the psych board and give me some of the pills they put all the people on. <laughs> and that, that was pretty much my intention because I'd done, I'd done a meeting at Romans. I'd done one at Longview for years. And uh, most of them guys didn't look like they were feeling too much pain. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I mean, that's not to denigrate anybody or... You know, that was just my perception at the time. And I know now that people feel a lot of pain, you know. And uh, But uh, that was my thing. And, and I wound up in the old Roman psychiatric hospital. And, uh, and of course, you know, I told them my tale of woe. And, and I wound up in that substance abuse mental illness uh, thing. And, uh, you know, I didn't believe I was a drunk yet. But I knew mental illness was not my problem. You know what I mean? A friend of ours, Bob Rich, used to say, I'm crazy, but I'm not that kind of crazy. And I knew that. And it was like I wanted no part of their deal. I was just really uh, kind of playing the game to get out of there. You know, my parents had threatened to probate me, and I knew that was serious business when the state had a hold of you. So I thought, well, I better play the game. And uh, I thought, all right. And uh, I wanted to leave, and I could have left, but, you know, I kind of had that over my head. And, uh, 
And I don't know, any idea that I was powerless over alcohol was washed away with that first drunk, and the obsession came back full force, that obsession that uh, I could drink successfully. And uh, I thought, man, you know, next time I'll drink and go to work, or this or that, and blah, blah, blah. And I came back to AA, but it was nothing like it had been the first time, you know what I mean? And uh, the obsession was back, and uh, I was really coming here out of fear. You know, because I knew that if I drank again, I was probably going to end up back in a place like Rollman's or worse, like Longview. And uh, I just didn't like that place. You know, you can't drink in there. You know, I mean, that's where I was. And uh, I just, I, it was just sadness. And uh, I don't know, so I, I come to AA and I, I stayed dry something like that a year. And it was probably the worst year of my life. Because here you got a guy who's sober and he doesn't want to be sober. You know, I'm drinking. I'm not drinking, but I want to be drinking. And I'm going to AA probably three, four times a week. I can't remember. You know, I'm, I got I got some AA girlfriend. I'm playing a game, you know. But uh, it was all just a, just a charade. And I remember Steve coming. Uh, I got I had, finally got this apartment, and I got this recliner. And I remember Steve was helping me with it. And he said, oh, you're going to spend a lot of nights drunk in this. And part of me started to be outraged. But I thought, hell, he's right. You know. <laughs> And uh, that's just the way it was. I just had to drink, really, if anything, to preserve my sanity. And just because that, that's what drugs do, is we drink them until we're convinced of our own powerlessness. And, uh, and I don't know, I uh, started drinking, and I thought, this time I'll drink and go to work. I ain't going to lay around and feel sorry for myself. You know, all the people that I thought were my problem were out of my life and all this stuff. And I thought, I'll be all right. And uh, first couple nights, I'd get drunk, and then the next day, I'd get up and go to work by 11, 12 o'clock. I can't work anymore. I got to get out of there. And uh, I had planned uh, to maybe step out to one of the local saloons, fortify myself, and go back to work. But the thing of it is, once I start drinking, I start drinking. Nothing else matters. I can't work. I can't do anything. So by 11, 12 o'clock, I got to get out of there and start drinking again. Then I think the third day, I couldn't even make it into work, and it was just on. And that spring, summer, and fall was just total insanity. That's the only way to describe it. Those of you that were around that time, you know, oh, he's here, he's there, he's there, he's doing this, he's doing that. I saw him in the park, I saw him in jail, and, and that's just what my life had become. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I think in the beginning I had a little bit of fun with my drinking again, because, I mean, who wouldn't you lay around drunk all day, you're not working, and, uh, but then after a while, and I can't tell you why drinking just becomes painful for somebody like me. I, I don't know why. I have no answer, but I know it does. And then after a while, uh, I can't stay drunk that long. Maybe a week or two, and then something happens, and I gotta go somewhere and dry out. Booze quits working or whatever, and I gotta go somewhere and dry out. And uh, it just started to be an endless stream of institutions and places that you don't want to end up. You know, that's a great way to describe it. And I guess it's what March. Uh, this, uh, this time, about what 19 years ago, I was living the life, man, and. Uh, you know, things stick out in my mind, just uh, being in front of this apartment that I had for a while, just so drunk out of my mind, I can't even stand up. You know what I mean? And just falling down and get, uh, getting back up, you know, like a boxer who's too stupid to lay down. And just when I'd end up in a place, I, I literally would have scrapes on my knuckles and, or my, my elbows and my knees from falling down. And uh, cops being there and me getting a little lippy with the cops and a buddy of mine rolling up and seeing me kind of getting me away. and. Uh, it was just crazy. I mean, just total insanity. And I guess there was a part of me back then, I thought, well, when it gets real bad, I'll say, Uncle, I'll go back there and get my sobriety back. I thought I had that choice. I really did. 
just goes to show you, I, I, you know, where my mind was. And uh, I, I wasn't able to do that because it, it got real bad. And then I would go places and I'd sober up. And then, you know, once I'd sober up, my mind would start telling me, Mark, you're not an alcoholic. And I go, yeah, you're right. And I'd get out of there and I'd start drinking again and the whole thing would just be repeated and repeated. And uh, I don't know, there came a point where I just knew I was drinking myself to death and, and had no way to stop it. And uh, it's funny, my route takes me all through that whole territory where I was drunk. And uh, I get to relive it. And uh, just, uh, you know, I was in like almost every care unit here in Cincinnati at least once, you know, that, during that period. And uh, I would go in there just so sick. I'm the guy that's got the IV bottle in the care unit. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm that sick. You know, most guys are walking around. I'm trailing an IV tower. I'm just so sick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dehydrated, 140 pounds, just out of my mind. And I'd go to detox, and they'd say, man, I'd leave, and I'd see people in AA later, and they'd say, man, the, 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 people were saying there's something else wrong with you besides alcoholism. Just out of my mind. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, eventually I, I lost that apartment. I remember I think I walked home from the Glenmore Care Unit to the Gaslight District in Clifton once. Maybe that was the second time I did that. And the guy, you know, I put the key in the door and, and it don't open it. And I knew what that meant. Oh, no place to live. And uh, I didn't care. It was it was August, you know. Who needs an apartment in August? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get that checkbook that's on the counter. You know, and that's all I cared about. So I could go write a bad check and get some booze and get what I need today. And uh, and I started stealing booze to stay drunk. And uh, that's just the way I lived. And uh, I would do anything to get a drink. Uh, that, 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 that's just what I became. And uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it just gets more hopeless uh, from there. And, and I started getting locked up. I think the first time I was in the workhouse for a couple weeks, man, I was just sick. 140 pounds. Had a seizure in there and just uh, just in bad shape. And uh, I was sober up and I would just pace like a caged animal. You know, coming off booze, it hurt. It really did. There was no more just shakes. I mean, at one time in the Justice Center, I heard voices of people that weren't there. I, I was laying down and uh, I heard Patio and Carol talking at the Sally Port about the AA meeting we were going to have that night. I get up and I look, they're not there. I did it another time and I heard him again, and the third time I thought I ain't even getting up and looking. And I thought, oh, I'm hearing voices. You know what I mean? If my wife heard voices, she would be mortified. You know, but that's the thing about being an alcoholic, is you get used to your life getting worse. And I realized I was hearing voices, and I thought, oh, I'm hearing voices. You go, okay, what's the <laughs> And uh, that's just the way it was. When I came out of that seizure, I knew what had happened. I'd seen enough seizures in there, and uh, you just get used to that stuff. You really do. And uh, I don't know, I get out of jail, and I think I'm going to go back to AA. I'm going to get my sobriety and this and that, and uh, it would be the same thing, man. My mind would kind of let uh, clear up a little bit. Mark, you're not an alcoholic. And I go, okay, let's go. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it might be a day or two out of jail. It might be a week, but it always happened. And, uh, you know, I, I just remember, uh, you know, I just, you don't care anymore. You know, you just don't care. And, uh, you know, I, in the beginning of my drinking, guys would take, I'd show up at your house, and you dropped me off at the at the drop-in center because you didn't want to deal with me, and I would leave there. I was too good for a place like that. And then at the end of my drinking, I was banging on your door, begging you to take me to the drop-in center. You know what I mean? That's just the way it was, and that was within a short period. And uh, 
I don't know. I, you know, in and out of jails, and I think the last time I got out of jail, I thought the hell with it. I'm not even going back to AA anymore. I'm tired of trying. I'm just going to go get drunk, and whatever happens, happens. I didn't care anymore. And uh, you know, it's a funny thing. I've been sober ever since that night. I guess somewhere along the line, I gave up. And uh, you know, I, I remember going to see some guys over Charlie's that owed me a little bit of money, and they weren't going to give me any money. And it happened to be the night of the AA Thanksgiving Day banquet, and I went. Really, only because, I think there was a few reasons I went. I went because I didn't want to go to jail on the weekend. I was hungry, and it was like I was just so tired. I thought, man, I don't want to drink tonight. I just, it's going to be hell on earth all again. I, just, I, don't, I don't want to deal with it tonight. So I thought, I'll, I'll go to the Thanksgiving Day banquet. And, and I got down there, and there was a guy I'd been locked up with. And I said, man, what are you doing here? He said, I'm out on bond at the Prospect House. And it was like, I can see it like it was yesterday. And when he told me that, I had a spiritual experience. I just knew it was like a path was laid out before my feet. I was just supposed to go to the prospect house. And I remember going to see my friendly probation officer in Hamilton County that Monday morning. And uh, he just said, what are you going to do? And, you know, I turned on the tears like I always did. And, you know, he, he, he'd seen my routine before. And I remember him saying, you know, he looked at my jacket that he had seen a while. He says, you know, you're on probation for four judges in Hamilton County. He just said, nine more, you'll have them all down here, boy. And, uh, <laughs> and that's just the way it was. And, uh, and really, at that time, I thought my sole purpose in life was just to give, like, uh, guards and stuff a place uh, to work. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I felt useless, like the big book talks about. You know, I had that useless feeling. And I, I really believe that. I thought, man, you're just living to put getting the humps like this a job. You know, <laughs> that's the way I looked at it. And uh, I don't know. I remember going over to welfare because I needed a place to stay, and I, and I was going to try to get into Mount Airy Shelter. And, 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 I, and I got over to the welfare department, and there was a guy I'd grown up with that I'd come in AA with. He was working down there that day, and I got the look. They're like, you know, like when you don't see anybody for a while that's dead cancer, and they're shriveled up to nothing. And they get that look, like, oh my God, what happened to you? And I got that look that day from, from my friend. And uh, he just gave me money and told me to go get something to eat and get in a Mount Airy shelter. And uh, man, I was just literally petrified almost every waking moment. Because my mind was telling me, his mind would just go, you're not an alcoholic. And it, the funny part was, I didn't even believe it anymore. But I was just petrified that I'd start drinking at any moment. And, uh, and I remember going over to, to, to get into Mount Airy, and I rode the bus with a lady from my home. It was just, God just carried me with angels that day. And uh, and I got up to Mount Airy, and I just kind of laid around, and, and I did what I always do. You just go to AA. And, uh, and I was just terrified almost every waking moment. I worked in the kitchen just to keep busy. You know what I mean? And uh, I was so burnt out that it, it dawned on me, like, after working there a few days, that if you worked in the kitchen, you could get extra food. And I told one guy that, he says, you idiot, everybody works in the kitchen to get extra food. I mean, that's just how burnt out I was. And I was just so embarrassed and so ashamed of the way I was living and what I'd become. I had so much guilt remorse with my parents, and, uh, you know, they just wanted me to be well again. And, uh, and, and I don't know, eventually I, uh, I got up uh, into the prospect house, and, and I didn't like it at first. I mean, I was tortured in the beginning. Uh, you know, my mind would just race, and I was just so scared that I was going to go back to the way I was living. And uh, I did do a fourth and fifth step early on, 
And I did get some relief from it. I, I did I did see for the first time in my life what the problem was, and that was me. You know, that the thing I was most pissed off about was of my own making. You know what I mean? I'm a liar, a thief, a cheat, and a con. You know, I heard that in AA and paid, paid uh, lip service to it, but uh, I started to come to believe it. And, uh, and I don't know, I kind of got stuck after that. And it's funny, drunks are funny. It's like, you know, you know what kind of shape I'm in. I drank myself to this, to this point, but yet I still had certain ideas how my life should go. <laughs> it's just totally ludicrous. <laughs> you know, it really is. The longer I'm sober, the more I realize it. But for the most part, when I got here, I got to the point after a while was I didn't care where I lived, what kind of work I did, what kind of money I made. I just don't want to go back to drinking. I still had a couple things I was holding on to, and eventually they became so uncomfortable, it was like, all right, God, I give up. And uh, I do know a couple things. When I come back to AA this last time, I come back convinced of being powerless, you know. Bob used to say, you know, uh, you know, I can drink, but I just can't drink successfully. That, that, that was drummed into me. I was real fortunate. When I come back to AA, I came back convinced of that. And, uh, you know, that really was solved for me. You know, I come to believe that, yeah, I do have an allergy to alcohol. Once I start, I can't stop. You know, when I was younger, my drunk stopped when I passed out. Later on, my drunk stopped when they closed that big metal door behind me. You know, that's when my drunk stopped, and that, 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 that was the difference. And uh, I don't know, you know, there just came a point after a while where I just became desperate, you know, for this thing. And uh, I remember thinking at the beginning, I don't even care if I'm happy again. I just don't want to go back to the way I was living, and, uh, and I'll tell you, man, I'd have sold myself short if that, you know, if that's all I, I asked for. And uh, and there just came a point where I just started getting busy back back, back in AA. You know, I, I knew enough about the big book that I kind of had an idea of, you know, what I had to do, and I, and I just started doing it. And I remember a guy asked me to come give a lead, not giving a couple just to, just to look good, but I'd given a couple. But uh, this one night, the guy asked me, you know, to give a lead. I went there to save my own behind. I wasn't going there to look good. I wasn't going there for any other reason but just to save my own rear. And uh, I remember being there that night. The girl read uh, uh, how it works. And when she said there's one who has all the power, that, that one is God. May you find him now. That word all hit me like nothing else had hit me before. And I'm telling you, it changed me. That's the only way I can describe it. It changed me that night. And I walked, I told my story, and I walked out of there a free man. Now, Marty Dries says I was already different when I walked in that night. But for me, some kind of change became apparent to me that night. And uh, I just got hungry. And I started going to meetings every day, at least a couple. And I started working with drunks. You know, but, uh, eventually I got my old car back, and I was just loaded up with drunks from the prospect house wherever we go off the meetings. You know, I was fortunate. I knew where some good meetings were that the house didn't go to. So I, I loaded up with go to East Warren or something, you know what I mean? And, and I just got off on seeing, uh, uh, seeing them enjoy themselves. And I started getting the true meaning of the 12 step, you know, working with another alcoholic as I need to help. You know, because it dawned on me very early on in my sobriety that AA functioned fine when I was out there in the street drunk. And it dawned on me early on to say, hey, I need you people. You sure as hell don't need me. And it really hurt my feelings once I realized <laughs> You know, people got sober in my absence. People, you know, stayed sober in my absence. Like, I need these people. They sure as hell don't need me. And it was quite a blow to my pride. I mean, it's kind of comical, but really, it was a blow to my pride. I really thought a lot of myself, you know? And uh, I don't know it's just going on from there. And, uh, you know, I had nothing when I came back to AA. Uh, the few possessions I had, 
uh, we're in like a little tiny storage locker that my parents were kind enough to pay for while I was on my uh, journey. And I remember telling my mother, I don't care about any of that crap. Just save me some clothes. You know, when I get out of jail, I want to have a few clothes. But they were nice enough to put whatever I had left in a storage locker. And uh, I started picking those things up. And, uh, you know, I wound up uh, staying in that uh, prospect house a little bit over a year because here I am. You know, I don't have nothing, but this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. And I remember getting that clock radio out of that storage locker and just getting up and looking at it, you know, and thinking, man, I got me a clock radio. It's great. It's because somebody give me a gigantic high-end stereo system. I love it. But I was happy to have a clock radio, man, because in the park where I was staying, you didn't have any clock radio. That's just the way it was. And uh, I just was grateful. And for the most part, I've stayed grateful since I've been sober. Don't get me wrong, I've had my ups and downs, but for the most part, I've just been grateful. And, uh, you know, I wound up getting a part-time job, and uh, it turned into a full-time job, and it was some dumb job delivering coffee, you know what I mean? And here it is, 18 years later, I still I still do the same thing, and it's been a great business for me. You know, being an AA, coffee's like, you know, sort of like a badge of honor around here. Coffee, so I'm like, yeah, coffee, that's cool. And uh, I don't know, I make a lot of money, but I don't need a lot of money. You know, I've I, I always liked what I've done, and I have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, I guess that's always just where God's wanted me, is just to deliver coffee. You know, I never wound up getting back into the radio business. I'm not a high-priced salesman or anything like that. I don't like any of that. I figure, let somebody else worry about all that crap. I just want to come in, drop off your boxes, and get out of there. I mean, I've always just been happy doing that. And uh, I don't know, I, I was staying there like a year and then eventually got my own apartment. And, you know, my life's always just gotten better, materially, financially. And uh, it, it's just been a journey ever since. I mean, I've had my ups and downs. Was it five years sober? I guess I had a heart attack. And uh, Big Brother had some problems. So I figured, well, hell, I'm next. But my diet's worse than his. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they give me an angiogram. They see French fries in my veins. <laughs> so I, I was having chest pains and went to the ER. And, uh, you know, I clocked out twice. They had to revive me. And, uh, and I don't know, man. It's like uh, I, I didn't see the white light or anything like that. I woke up scared to death. <laughs> you know, and at different times, it's, I've gone back and forth on it. But it, it, it's been a... It's been a journey too, you know, and I remember my sponsor telling me, hell, the worst thing that happens, you'll die, and I was like, man, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> That's the truth, though, really, you know, it really is. Nobody here gets out alive, and uh, I don't know, uh, you know, I've always just gone with the flow, you know what I mean? I moved over to Kentucky about 13, 14 years ago, and I love it over here, and uh, you know, sometimes I look at the guys I grew up with, and they're all in certain areas, and I, I just, I live over in Fort Thomas, and I love it. You know what I mean? I got a house over there. I'm married. I got a little boy, and uh, my life, my life's just a joy. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I said I had open heart surgery. That 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 wasn't much fun. And uh, you know, I was scared to death, man. Because this was the worst thing. Is I go in on a Monday, and I got to stay in the hospital till Thursday. You know, so I'm laying there for three days, and you let a drunk sit there and think for three days. And, you know, by the second day, I'm getting a heart transplant, you know what I mean? And, you know, it's just insane, and really, I didn't have it that bad. I was like an hour and a half surgery, and they even put me on the heart and lung machine, and I really didn't have it that bad. And uh, I remember seeing my wife, and she was all smiles. I was like, what are you smiling about? <laughs> she said, man, you look pretty good. She said, I expected you to look worse. 
And, it, and it's that old thing when you were drunk. You get that look like, like, my God, what happened to you? But she was just pleased to see that I looked as good as I did. And, uh, you know, I, I had those thoughts, you know, like, oh, man, I got this credit card for $8,000. i will just walk out of here, give you a hotel room, a couple of uh, truckloads of vodka, and screw a heart operation. And uh, <laughs> that's just the way my mind works. And, you know, I did. People in AA got me through. I prayed people in AA got me through. And, uh once it stopped hurting, it wasn't too bad having eight weeks off work. I didn't mind that too much. And uh, I don't know, a lot of wonderful things have happened to me. You know, uh, my parents, uh, I watched them get old and, uh, you know, they got sick and eventually they passed on. And uh, I'll tell you, the experiences I, I had with them, I wouldn't trade them for the world. You know what I mean? Because here was a guy I wasn't allowed in their house. And then by the time my mother passed away, I had a check. You know what I mean? And, uh, it was hard not. It was hard not to write one to myself, but uh, but I don't know. It was, it, to me, it was like you know. By the time they uh, they went, it was like uh, it was okay. You know, everything had been said. I'd made my amends to them. You know, the, everything that was needed to be said was said, and it, it was okay. And uh, I don't know. I'll be eternally grateful for that. You know, I used to go shopping for my mother, and she'd thank me up and down. And I'd say, no, thank you, because it, it did more for me to go out there and buy her groceries for her than, you know, that she'll never know. It, it really, uh, it, it was a wonderful thing to be able to give. And, uh, you know, I was always that kind of person. You know, when I was little and they told me it's better to give than to receive, I thought they were kidding. <laughs> I really did. I mean, that, that, that sums my life up in a nutshell right now. I thought they were seriously making a joke. But, you know, I, I've learned how to give a little bit around here, and uh, it's always felt good. And... Uh, I don't know, you know, to, you know, today my life is full. I, I got that little boy, he's almost six, and he's just a joy, Paul, I tell you. And it, it's just more than I ever dreamed of. It really is. And, uh, you know, work, I mean, I get up, I go to work, and uh, I don't know, you know, I, I had the kind of sponsor, he told me there's no mental health days. He says, you get up and you go to work. And I've always done it. I remember the first time I was sick and called off work, I was, oh, man, you're a faker, man. Because I was like my, my whole life, you know, just a liar. And I just, you know, 102 fever. And I'm thinking, man, you could have gone to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, I just get up, I go to work, and I do the best I can. And, you know, it's funny. I've changed here recently. My boss gave me a compliment. And it was like, I could have given a shot. I, I could have cared less. You know what I mean? I, I really I, I really didn't care, you know. I, I was like, thank you, whatever. But it's like, that's the thing and that I know now. Because I, I, I do those things to please myself. You know, I want to take care of people, do the best job I can for me. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't really care what he thought. And uh, I got more enjoyment out of fixing a turntable in my basement than I did when he told me uh, about that account that I was taking good care of. And that's weird. I used to, you know, puff my chest out and I'd get off on stuff like that. And I don't even care anymore. You know what I mean? I just A lot of times I'm just unaffected by all that outside stuff. And, uh, I don't, I don't really have a word to tell you what, what AA means to me. You know, it, it, it's my everything. And, uh, you know, I still go to four meetings a week. And uh, the old lady, she don't like it sometimes, but that's all right. I figure better, better her to get mad than me. And uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I just love it here. And, uh, you know, if you're new, if you understand what I talked about tonight, that hopelessness and that loneliness, I, I just urge you just to come back because, uh, you know, when I came back to AA and I heard that, that part or read that part in the big book where it talks about, you know, we will know loneliness as few people do. Being at the jumping off place, I understood what they were talking about when I came back. I didn't the first time, but I did when I came back this last time. 
you know, no one uh, you can't imagine your life with or without alcohol. That's a hell of a place to be, man. And if you understand that, I just urge you to, to come back here and, 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 and find out what's going on, you know. There's some things that need to be done. There's some work that needs to be done. But it's really not too terrible, you know. After a while, it's kind of fun, actually, you know what I mean? Just insane. You get to laugh at yourself, you know, with the kind of minds we have. And uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I want to thank uh, Josh for